It's not as easy now to build relationships on a team as it used to be because people are in person less. So we have to be more intentional. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And today we want to talk about a phenomenon that is kind of sweeping the nation, maybe the world, but it's called quiet quitting. And we want to talk about how to avoid quiet quitting in your business, because apparently it's affecting a lot of businesses. You know, it's so funny, Dad. I uh, read about this. I think it was the Wall Street Journal article that came out recently. And I was like, wait, what? What? What is this? And then I just you know, started digging more and more. It's so fascinating. I feel like this has been such an interesting time in you know the relationship between employees and employers. There are so many shifts happening. And this is just another big one, kind of like the great resignation. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, let's start with the definition. What is quiet quitting? And according to the Wall Street Journal, the phrase started on TikTok and employees are busy not being busy, at least not too much. And here's what they said. This is a direct quote from the article. Some young professionals reject the idea of going above and beyond in their careers, labeling their lesser enthusiasm a form of quitting, coasting from nine to five, doing just enough to get by. So what do you think of that, Meg? Well, gosh, I mean, this is so interesting. Part Some of it sounds healthy. You know, I mean, we at Full Focus talk all the time about the idea of the double win, winning at work and succeeding at life. And that's really a an intentional response and rejection, really, of hustle culture and people working, you know, 50, 60, 70 plus hours a week and not having any personal life or attending to things outside of work. And and so we really believe in the idea of the double win, but we also believe in the idea of the double win, not the single win, you know? And this sounds a little bit like a single win in, in which, you know, you're you're pitting your personal life against the company. And what we really want is integration. We want people to win at work and succeed at life. So I think that this is maybe an effort to bring some balance back. And there's definitely some impulse here that's healthy, but obviously it's not good for employers um, to have what ultimately results in a disengaged workforce. Well, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, hmm, I wonder if I've got a disengaged workforce. Are people quiet quitting on me? We've got a free tool, a survey that you can use with your own team to determine exactly that. And you can find it at fullfocus.co, C-O, slash quiet quitting. Again, that's fullfocus.co slash quiet quitting. This tool is free and it'll help you determine whether or not you have a problem with quiet quitting in your own organization. Well, you know, this is something that we do, uh, an employee survey that is, every year during our strategic planning process, you know, long before this concept was coined and has has become part of the kind of national and maybe even international conversation in the business community, we, we always want to know how engaged is our team. And so we, we do an anonymous survey every year to our employees to just understand that better. And I think if that's not something that you're in the practice of doing, this is a great place to start to just get a pulse and a baseline on how your team's doing. 
Okay, so we want to cover four strategies that business owners just like you can use to avoid quiet quitting among their employees. So strategy number one is connect your team to the vision. How does this counter the quiet quitting thing, Meg? Well, this really goes back to the principles that we know drive engagement and have been studied for a long time. And when people don't feel like they understand or feel connected to the vision of a company and there's a real disconnect between their day-to-day work, the tasks that they're completing on, on a daily basis, and the goals of the organization, the direction of the organization – it's really hard to stay engaged. I mean, honestly, what it feels like is your work is kind of meaningless and it doesn't really matter anyway. So why should you be so invested? What you want is people to think, um, to use an old example, I'm not just laying bricks here. I'm building a cathedral. You want them to feel like they are part of something that's bigger than themselves, that really matters and that's making a difference. And we know particularly among younger team members, this is critically important that so much of their expectation for a positive professional experience is a sense of meaning and a larger purpose for their work. They don't want to just collect a paycheck. They want to feel like their work matters and they're making a difference. And that's where the role of vision really comes in handy. And if you are a business owner with a vision and you're communicating that diligently, you have an edge over so many other organizations that just plug people into tasks. And, you know, it can honestly feel a little dehumanizing to people at some point. Yeah, and I've talked to business owners in the past who don't really want to do the work on the vision or mission or core values or some of that stuff that that we typically call core ideology. It's usually the first place that we start with our clients yeah. because we, we think it has an outsized impact on everything you're trying to do. Yep. And it's not something that's one of those, you know, airy-fairy, fluffy kind of things that doesn't really matter, but it really shapes culture. And, yeah. and what it really does is gives people one of the most important things that they seek, which is meaning. And if they're not finding it at work, they're going to find it somewhere else. And where the meaning goes, the engagement follows. So if you don't create that meaning at work for people, then they're going to be engaged in something. It's just not going to be at work. Right. Okay. That brings us to strategy number two, which is connect your team to you as their leader. And I want to just start by saying, I I don't think people do work for companies. They work for other people. People may start out working for another company, but they quickly become connected to their leader or not connected to their leader. And at the end of the day, people quit people. They don't quit companies. And so you've got to get connected to people. So let's just talk about that a little bit. Megan, how have you experienced that in the past? And how do you try to foster that with your own team? Yeah. Well, I think this is this is one of those areas that's easy to overlook. Um, the data tells us when we've been having these conversations about the great resignation over the last year or so, that one of the reasons that people are resigning, or in, in the case of this conversation, quiet quitting, is because they are doing it in protest of a manager, really, that there's a, there's a leadership issue that's in play there. And so one of the best ways as a business owner that you can circumvent this is to shore up your leadership and make sure that you're staying connected with your team. Relationships are the glue of an organization. And we, we know this also from the data that 
um, more than ever, people have their most meaningful relationships in the workplace. You know, if you think about in the past, church was a really significant place where people not only got a sense of meaning, but connection to others. Uh, they often lived in the same place for a long time. Now that remote work is so significant, that's not the case anymore. So the relational fabric that maybe was happening outside of work in generations past is now happening so much inside the workplace. And if those relationships aren't good, then it's going to cause people to be disengaged and ultimately vote with their engagement or ultimately their employment. Uh, about how that's going. So I think, you know, just a few practical things. We want to be making sure that people um, understand what their contribution to the vision is in their particular role. And as their direct supervisor, that's what you can give them. You can provide that context and you can really draw that line back to the vision um, so that they understand their work matters. Also, um, you want to help them understand what is blocking their path to making progress on the vision and uh, through their daily work. And sometimes people just become cynical and opt out, at least, you know, become disengaged because they're frustrated and they can't resolve their frustration and they just kind of feel trapped. And so rather than leave, you know, maybe that's not an option for them. They, they just kind of check out. And so I think that's one of the things that you can do also. Um, and, you know, are there things that you can do as the business owner or the direct supervisor to help maybe take part of the work from them that, you know, what we would use the language of their disinterest zone or their drudgery zone, things that maybe are causing them to feel drained? Are there things you could automate? Um, are there ways that you could help to uh, make their job more enjoyable, make make their contribution more meaningful and more effective and get some of the frustrating elements out of the mix. I think that's the purview of the direct supervisor, of the leader. And if you stay connected to your people through regular one-on-ones and, and those kinds of things, then these are things you're going to be able to know and you can put in your agendas to make sure you're addressing. You know, there's another thing, um, and I, th- I agree with all that, but I think there's another thing that, that we need to cover too here. People need to be seen. They need to be acknowledged. Yes. They need to be affirmed. Yes. And I yep. think that I've never met a leader who didn't have that intention, but mm-hmm. people don't judge us by our intentions. They judge us by our words and our actions. And so yep. you have to get it out of your head and be explicit about it. Because I, I think for most people, and it, it happens for me too, if, I, if I'm if i not being seen, if I'm not being acknowledged, then at some point I just shrug my shoulders and say, hey, I'm going to get the same result whether I... I'm actively engaged or if I just phone it in and phoning it in is a whole lot easier than actually doing the hard work. But you can make the difference as the leader by just seeing those people, again, acknowledging them and affirming them. Don't just take it for granted. And uh, a lot of leaders, and you see this happen in marriages sometime where people say, well, I, you know, I, I said, you know, I, I do at the altar and until I revoke that, it's still in place. And no, you've got to continue to express that you love that person. And I think the same is true in the, in the workplace. You've got to continue to express that you appreciate that work, that you don't have an attitude of entitlement. And it's easy to get entitled as a business owner or a leader and think that people owe you yeah. that work. But I think that's where we got to turn this on its head and think of this through the lens of being a servant leader. How can I help people? How can I serve people as the leader? And you, as you said so well, how can I help clear the path so that they can do the work that they were made to do, but also what do they need in terms of affirmation to feel confident and to feel good and to feel like they're, they're really being seen at their work matters. 
Well, I, I think we underestimate as leaders how important affirmation is and being seen, particularly by someone who is your supervisor or the business owner. Um, even little things like remembering people's names, asking about their kids, seeing them as full orbed people is so important. Um, remember, this is the context where most of their meaningful relationships are happening. And you're probably a very important person, whether you know it or not, in the lives of the people on your team. And if they feel like you care about them, if they feel like you see them, then necessarily they're going to feel like they matter, their work matters, they have significance and recognition, all of which are pretty basic human needs that we're going to work to fulfill. You know, that thing you mentioned about um, seeing people as individuals and using their names and mm -hmm. understanding their family situation, that gets more difficult the more you scale. It's true. It does. When I was the CEO at Thomas Nelson, we had about 750 employees. And I remember asking John Maxwell, I said, how do I connect with everybody? Because the truth is, when I meet an employee, that's one of 750, but I'm the only CEO, so it's easy for them to know my name. Right. But it's also easy for them to assume that I should know their name, particularly if I've met them before. And I was part of a company at one point where I kept meeting the CEO at every Christmas party. And for him, it was like the first time he'd ever met me over and over again. He couldn't remember <sighs> me. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, I, I would joke about it, but it didn't, it didn't leave a good impression upon me. So I thought, I've got to learn people's names, and I don't think I really succeeded in the way that I would have liked. But one of John's hack, hacks, and John was really good at this, when he was a pastor in San Diego, he had his assistant put the names of people on three-by-five cards, one name per card hmm. with their picture on it. And he had the picture on one side and the name on the back side. And when he would travel, he would take a stack of those cards. And he had like 3,000 or 4,000, some crazy number. And he would just use those like flashcards to rem to remember wow. people's faces and their names. And so I did the same thing at Thomas Nelson. I had my executive assistant do the same thing. And I would take those cards dutifully with me on trips and try to rifle through them and try to remember. And I did the best I could. But it's it's a challenge. But I think you get so much credit when you make the effort. You really do. And, you know, people want... They want that recognition. They want to, they want to matter. And That's I think it. that, um, oftentimes the things that are driving engagement are the intangibles that are easy to miss. Well, and to just kind of put a bow on this, if people don't feel like they matter, they assume that work doesn't matter and they check out. Yes. Let's go to strategy number three. It's not enough just to do strategy number one, which is to connect your team to the vision or strategy number two, connect your team to you as your leader. Strategy number three is to connect your team to one another. How do we do that at full focus? And not that we do it perfectly and we probably got a lot to learn, yeah. but I think there's some things we could share that would be helpful for people that are trying to do this. Well, I, I think, again, to remember contextually how important these relationships are, and I probably sound like a broken record at this point, but I think um, this is not always true for the business owner in the way that it's true for our teams. And so we need to be reminding ourselves, hey, the people are looking for meaningful relationships here, and how can I set the stage for that? Um, especially as most of our companies, if you're in any kind of knowledge-based uh, industry, you're probably more remote than you were 
two to three years ago, which means people are having more transactional in interactions with one another and less in-person kind of ad hoc, uh, you know, water cooler type conversations. And so it's not as easy now to build relationships on a team as it used to be because people are in person less. So we have to be more intentional. Uh, for us, that means that we ask people to come into the office. N nobody at our company works in the office or has a private office. Um, but we ask people to come in periodically because we want them to see each other. So that might be something like we do a happy hour or we do an outing or we do a Christmas party, you know, where there's fun activities. Like last year, we have an annual gingerbread uh, house decorating contest and we have teams and it's a great competition. We have prizes. We, it gets very competitive. <laughs> it's it's a blast and people remember that and they form connections with people that, you know, they were putting the frosting and the candy on the houses with and they remember that all year long. And so um, you want to be coming up with ways that are outside of work for people to connect with each other and build relationships, um, including people's families is another really fun thing. I mean, you know, you don't really get to know someone unless you get to know the people that are most important in their life. And so we've done things where we've invited people's families and got to meet the kids before. And I love that. Um, so uh, those are just a few of the things that we do. We also just try to celebrate, you know, we, we, uh, when we have a particularly great month financially, we might have a party and celebrate and really call out the people that were a part of that by name and what was their contribution because we want them again to feel seen, to feel like when I do something that matters, I'm going to get recognized here. Um, and in front of my peers and then their peers are high-fiving them, which is actually even more meaningful than if you or I did it. And in a lot of ways, you know, people want to be recognized by their peers. So we try to set the stage for that. But the most important thing is recognizing that this is critically important for engagement and then being intentional and planning opportunities for people to connect with one another. You know, you, you mentioned something that, that frankly, I haven't thought about until now, or at least in this context, and that is the importance of connecting people's families to the mm -hmm. company. And obviously mm -hmm. they don't work for the company and you're, you're not asking right. for that, but you want them to be supportive so that the chatter inside the home is supportive of the company right. and its mission right. and is not a detraction uh, from that. And so a lot of times when I've, you know, sent bonuses out to people, I've sent them to people's homes with a letter, a thank you letter, knowing that that person would probably read that to their spouse. And so it's just a way, a subtle way of acknowledging that person in front of their family, yep. which is really important too. Right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, people really care about what their, their family thinks. Right. And if they can be acknowledged in front of their family yes. in some way, you know, and I've had bosses in the past that have done that who, when I've brought uh, Gail, my wife, to a, to a meeting, they've bragged on me to her. And that makes me feel great right. about the boss and about Absolutely. the company and all that. So, yeah, you, you know, you don't do it to manipulate, but it certainly doesn't hurt to be intentional about that and to understand kind of the psychological dynamics that are in play. Yep. Well, for example, um, you know, next week we are completing the second part of our um, kind of operational planning process on the backside of strategic planning, where we'll be presenting to our leadership team, our team of directors um, as an executive team. And when we're all together, uh, you know, we could have just gone through the agenda that I have planned for that time. But I decided, you know what, we're all going to be together. There's like 10 or 12 of us that'll, you know, be together for several days. We need to plan a special dinner 
and really allow people to connect. So we have a private room at a local restaurant next week. We'll have intentional questions. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do some special stuff as a way of saying we could just let this be what it is on the calendar, you know, which is to complete some uh, part of our planning process, or we could be intentional about using that as a springboard to develop connection between the people that are going to be at the meetings. And that's what we're going to do. Um, because, you know, those people aren't all together all at one time in that setting very often. And it's a real opportunity for us. Okay, so that's three of the four strategies. Let's get to the fourth one, which is connect your team to the results. That seems like that's kind of a, a hard right turn because we've talked about vision. We've talked about connecting to people, including your leader and the other people on your team. And now the results. How does that work? Well, I mean, we all want to have a sense of efficacy, you know, that when we do this thing over here, uh, when we, when we push this thing, something moves downstream. You know, if, if there's a sense of futility to our work, like we're just working really hard and it never really seems to matter one way or the other. I mean, that's discouraging. And mm -hmm. I think when you, when you consider that at the root of this quiet quitting issue is disengagement, you don't want people discouraged. You want them encouraged. You want them to feel like, uh, when I take this action, something really good happens over here or these financial results that we're experiencing as a company uh, are because of our effort. And we want to connect the dots for people because honestly, we want more of that kind of behavior. We want to, we want our people to do the things that drive results. And so we have to make it visible to them. We have to have a scoreboard. Otherwise, I mean, think how fun would it be to go to a football game and go watch the Super Bowl if there was no scoreboard? Right. I mean, no, no one would do it. Nobody would pay thousands and thousands of dollars for those seats. But it's really fun to watch that scoreboard. I mean, I'm just thinking of all those games last year that were so close and they were won in the last couple of minutes. You're hanging on, you know, by your fingernails because it's it's so exciting. Uh, I think, you know, that's how people feel when they can connect their actions to the results that the company is producing. Well, it's shocking to me, you know, in working with hundreds of businesses, how few businesses, at least when our coaching clients come into the program where they're not sharing their results with their team. Right. Right. And that's just discouraging. It's like not having a scoreboard yeah. and expecting people to be engaged. Now I've played a round of golf or two where I've just said to the person I was playing with, Hey, let's just not keep score. Let's just enjoy our time together. Mm -hmm. But we don't enjoy the time together. Right. We don't enjoy it as much. <laughs> I mean, even if I'm just, you know, playing against myself, which I tend to do, I don't, I don't mind losing to the group, but I'm always trying to, you know, beat my personal best. I'm always trying to play against myself, but I got to have the score to do that. Otherwise, I'm I'm not engaged. So I think this is a really critical, uh, important thing. And it's not that hard. You just have to decide as a leader that you're going to be transparent mm -hmm. with the results and that you're going to report back to people. And one of the things that I, I like to think of is, is if you want people to behave as owners, where they're more than just, you know, a hired hand, but they really have a stake in the outcomes you got to treat them like owners. Right. And owners share the results with other owners. Right. You know, it's a real way to communicate partnership that we're in this together, yep. that the trust. results are important to both of us, et cetera. And trust. I mean, I think, you know, people feel uh, trusted and they rise to the occasion. You know, this probably goes without saying, but I think a part of this connecting your team to the results is also what incentives you have in play. You know, if, uh, if it feels like, 
the ownership is the only beneficiary of the financial results, that's going to be very discouraging to your team. Um, so if you don't have a good bonus plan in place, if it's if the incentives of someone's job are not aligned with the outcomes you're trying to create in terms of results, that's something to really look at because, um, you know, you you want people to feel like when you win, as the business owner, when the business wins, they win. Uh, and that that's really what we want is to get our incentives aligned with each other so that we can all row in the same direction. You know, just to tie this fourth point back to the first point about vision, people need to feel connected to the vision. The results are a way to begin this cycle again, because yes. when people have a through line from the results back to the vision, when they understand that we're moving incrementally with our results toward that bigger vision that's further in the distance, then it's easier for them to be engaged too. But it's up to us as the leaders to connect the dots. Right. Because if it's just results for results sake, then uh, that also loses its meaning. You know, if our, mm -hmm. if just getting that sales increase this month is an end in itself, people aren't going to got to play that game for very long. But if they know that this is to build a bigger company, to create more opportunity for the people inside the company, to make a bigger impact on the world, all that kind of stuff that's the stuff of vision, then then they're, I think they're willing to be more engaged and not quiet quit. Right. Well, you know, what we talk about uh, in our methodology of strategic planning is that you have a three-year long-term vision, right? So this is this is where you're taking the organization. And in the next year, you have an annual plan, which is one year, one chunk of moving toward that three-year vision. And so it should feel like the annual plan and the accomplishment of the results that you're committed to for this fiscal year are moving your vision forward. And if those dots are not necessarily connected for your team, that's a really important connection to make and a really important opportunity for you um, to drive engagement because uh, that that's how it should work. And it should be really inspiring and exciting to people. That's great. Okay, so today we've talked about quiet quitting and how you as a business owner or business leader can avoid quiet quitting in your business. We talked about four strategies. Strategy number one, connect your team to the vision. Strategy number two, connect your team to you as their leader. Strategy number three, connect your team to one another. And strategy number four, connect your team to the results. And again, if you're concerned that you might be experiencing quiet quitting in your organization, or you suspect it might be the case, we've got a free resource for you. We've produced a survey that you can download at fullfocus.co forward slash quiet quitting. It's free, but it's got a, several helpful questions that you can ask your employees to determine if you've got a problem and to quantify it and see how big of a problem it is. Megan, final thoughts? Well, you know, as I think about this topic, there's a part of me as a business owner that groans a little bit. It's like, you know, one more problem to solve. You know, and I'm guessing that probably is how it feels a little bit to you guys listening. Here's what I think is truer though. This is an opportunity in disguise. This is an opportunity for us to do things inside our organization that certainly will circumvent this issue of quiet quitting, but will actually build a, the kind of culture that drives even better results, even better talent, 
uh, retention over time and the opportunity for future acquisition of talent uh, that really gives you an edge. So I think it is a blessing in disguise if we see it that way and doing uh, the things that we've outlined today, these four strategies will put you uh, a long way forward in having the kind of culture that dad, as you say, is the unseen force that drives operating results. So it really is a win-win in the end. Thanks, Meg. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And until next time, lead to win.